This is the Young Professionals Podcast, proudly brought to you by Adapt Careers, where we speak with young professionals to understand what they do in their roles day to day, how they got there and what they've learned along the way. My name is Luke Marriott. And I am Nicholas Sargent, better known as Sarge. And we are your co-hosts. Sarge, what do our listeners need to do? To stay up to date and support what we're doing, please subscribe, like the episode and leave a comment on any of our social channels. We can't wait to hear from you. Sarge, today we are talking to someone from the sports industry and it's Chris Tetters, who is a digital or the digital media coordinator at the Victorian Institute of Sport. Now, after attaining early entry into the Latrobe Aspire program when he was in year 12, Chris began his uni career in a Bachelor of Media and Communications at Latrobe University. Chris locked in an internship at the Northern Knights Football Club in the now NAB League, where he got his first taste of working in the media industry uh, in through a sports context. Chris eventually landed an unpaid internship at the Victorian Institute of Sport, which meant he had to defer his uni degree and complete it over four years whilst climbing the ladder at the Victorian Institute of Sport. There ever since, Chris has been a massive part of their growth over the last few years where he's loving working with all sectors of the Victorian sporting community, uh, particularly in, in media. So Chris, it's great to have you on the show, mate. Yes, thanks for having me on the podcast, guys. No worries at all. Let's start uh, where the the most relevant stuff is in terms of what you're doing day to day. So walk us through what a normal day of a of a digital media coordinator uh, at, at the Great Victorian Institute of Sport is like. Yeah. Okay. So um, a day in the life of a digital media coordinator changes every single day and every single week. Um, what I do one week won't be the same as next week, as the media landscapes constantly changing and there's always new things coming up, but a sort of average week would look like on a Monday coming in to the organization and just having conversations with athletes and staff members about what's upcoming, what might be of interest for filming at uh, filming or writing about or interviewing, etc. Um, so a Monday, usually a normal schedule for our week on, on a Monday, we'll do our newsletter. So we'll send out to, we've got about 2000 subscribers on our sports express and we'll send that out. Um, and it will just be a bit of an update over what's happening, what's upcoming. A Tuesday, we usually try and lock in a couple of interviews or get out to some sports for some filming. Um, you know, we've got over 200 athletes and 15 different sports. So trying to get out to every sport's pretty tough and, you know, trying to build that relationship with athletes is quite challenging. So we try and schedule in some time to do that. Um, and then throughout the week, we've got a team of two. So we'll try and produce a couple of articles, um, for our website that relates to the Victorian Institute of Sport. And then as we get towards the end of the week, we'll start planning for the following week. So usually we're trying to do as much as we can in this short period of time, but it does start to build up. Now, mate, it, that sounds like a pretty busy week and you're touching a lot of different, um, I guess, uh, tasks and disciplines in that. And before our chat today, you're mentioning that you've, I guess, progressed quite quickly during your time at the Victorian Institute of Sport. So why don't you step us through that and kind of where you started um, as your role and, and how that's morphed into what you're doing now and, and what you're looking after uh, in your role now? Yeah. So when I first started doing my internship, um, it was very, like I was there for one or, one or two days a week and my week would evolve around just the newsletter. So just sports express, um, which doesn't sound like much, but 
as I said, we've got, you know, two and over 200 different athletes. So imagine if all those athletes on the, the weekend prior were all competing, trying to track down all their results, see how they're going. But then I guess the challenge comes in how we add our VR, like Victorian Institute of Sports spin on it. So yes, that there might be a few hockey results on the weekend, but how did the Victorian Institute of Sport play their role in that performance? And that's where our unique angle is. Uh, and trying to figure out that and interview the appropriate people does take time. So that, that was like my sole role during that internship. Um, and then as I've sort of gradually gone through, it's transitioned into from doing the sports express to then adding in an extra day where we actually go out to the sport. And instead of just, you know, getting on the phone and calling the athlete, I'll actually go out and interview the athlete um, and also developing that relationship with the athletes is so important. So we can get, we can generate, like we can build that trust and the content over time just in, like gets better. Um, Mate, when you're saying the Victorian Institute of Sports Athletes, can you just walk us through what that actually means? So are you guys sponsoring these athletes and they're playing in, uh, I guess, like local um, competitions or what does that look like? So the Victorian Institute of Sport is a high performance facility which offers select athletes scholarships. So what those scholarships are is that they, um, they, so athletes can get access to like high performance um, services. So that might include nutrition, sports psychology, performance lifestyle, um, physiotherapy, strength and conditioning, and it's all in the same building. So yes, athletes will still be in teams. They'll still you know, if they're hockey athletes, they'll still be under the Hockey Australia banner. But what we offer is those high performance services that get at, like that help our athletes reach that Paralympic and Olympic level. Beautiful. And just to hone in on the digital media point, what it what actually what mediums does digital media actually cover? So it started off as a bit of just like the newsletter, and that would go out to our it's called MailChimp database. So we just send that straight out, but then it's as in like social media started to grow. Um, we've had to grow with it. So now digital media isn't just a newsletter. It's of, it's of course, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, um, MailChimp, the website. So just more and more things keep popping up and it just means more and more work for us. So, you know, what, what started as, my internship doing a newsletter has now transitioned into posting a story, but it won't just go out in the newsletter. It will go on our website. Then it will go onto Facebook. Then it will be going to Twitter. Then it will go into Instagram. And then we'll work out if we want to add a video element to it for YouTube. So all of a sudden we have to create different strategies for different platforms. So it's pretty crazy that, you know, you write one story, but then you have to try and work out how you can use that story on different platforms because obviously different platforms have different audiences. So do you have a different champion for each different platform or are you more of a jack of all trades? Um, well, being a team of two, and like being the digital media coordinator, all those actually fall under my position. So yeah, it's been, it's very challenging, but it's also great, you know, to learn across what all the different platforms. So, yeah. Mate, on that, we want, I want to touch on the importance of 
I guess, how much you can grow in an internship and the opportunities that are afforded to you. But you're relatively young. I think you're 23 or 24, recently out of uni. And now you are responsible for all of the digital content that goes out for a pretty well-known brand that Victorian Institute has bought, at least in Victoria. Was that transition to taking on that responsibility a big one or did you kind of just take it all in your stride or you're still learning what's going on? How does that feel that you, you recently out of uni and now you've got um, kind of all of this, not power, but you know, ability to, to post this stuff. Yeah. It's funny. Like when you first step into a role like that, um, you know, on Instagram, people are very big on followers and it's pretty like, I sort of sometimes forget that, you know, across all of our social media platforms, we have over 40,000 followers. So yeah, it doesn't always like, and you know, that's just the Victorian Institute of Sports. So I guess as you sort of transition and if you're in social media in time, the more and more people you're going to start reaching out to. Um, and it's not something I necessarily think about, but yeah, I guess it is pretty crazy. <laughs> <laughs> not, not to add any pressure on. <laughs> <laughs> just on that, Chris, you have 40,000 followers on Instagram. What are your key metrics as a digital media coordinator in terms of making sure that you're, you're reaching your target audience and you, you know, that people are engaged and learning about your athletes at the Victorian Institute of sport. So it's, so I mean, we have 40,000 followers across like all of our platforms, not just Instagram. So yep. um, yeah, I guess it's hard because you look at followers and likes, there's no obvious answer of, like if, you know, in a bit, some businesses, like the true measure is, is finances. But if you're talking social media and specifically in a government funded organization where we're not using our platforms for um, financial income, it's very much, we, we very much measure on that engagement rate and how our stories and what we post are engaging and inspiring the community. And I think that's something that's so big for us is that, how we're using our athletes and our experts to inspire the community to get better and to improve. So, yeah. On that, Chris, in our chat beforehand, you mentioned that you've been doing, or the Victorian Institute of Sport has been doing a lot of work with the Paralympic athletes and and pushing or publishing stories from them and about them. What's that been like? And particularly in the current climate of COVID and everyone's kind of locked down. What, what is kind of their perspective on, on the, the struggles and, and all of that been like uh, that everyone's going through? I think the interesting thing with our Paralympians and even Olympians is like their stories are so amazing. And if you look at a lot of our Paralympic athletes and you look at the challenging times now is Paralympians have already overcome a lot of challenging things in their life. So for some of them, COVID's just another another hurdle to 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 jump over. So it's very interesting seeing uh, like their reactions to it, and um, you know they're very inspiring people. So sharing their stories and learning about their stories to see how they've reached the top level inspires. You know, if you've got Paralympic runners, their stories will inspire someone like myself who's just an average runner. So using that to our advantage and, you know, pushing those stories across social media platforms is, is what we, we aim to do. And, and yeah. And ho- hopefully all of that content is inspiring the, the wider community. Uh, keen to dive into how you actually go about uh, producing one of those stories on, on someone like a Paralympian, like what's your research process like and 
what does it look like from start to finish in terms of doing your diligence and then actually uh, pushing out the final product? Yeah. Okay. So I'll talk about, I'll give an example. So for our, we're doing a together for Tokyo series, which was, is following our Tokyo athletes and their journey to the Olympics and Paralympic games. Um, so one of the features we did was on two Paralympic rollers. Um, so just the process of what that looks like to get the start of the product to the finished product. Uh, initially we did a lot of that research. And as I have mentioned before, building that relationship with the athletes prior so that when we get to the interview, they feel more comfortable and more willing to, sh to share their stories because their stories are very personal. So often to build that relationship and that trust with them to, to share those personal stories is, is part of the research. Um, so yeah, a lot of, a lot. Of, and then it was just the research about their results, what they've done um, and getting in contact with some people from Rowing Australia just to help us out um, with some, some specific results. Um, so once we've done that, that research stage, we organize, we actually organized a videographer, Tim Arch, who's been great. Um, as I've said, we're a team of two, team of three. So we do. Shout out to Tim. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Tim. <laughs> so we do often try and source external videographers for specific big projects like this. Um, so we went out to the rowing banks at um, 4.30 a.m., which was a great morning for us. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, we, we actually just watch the athletes train first because it, the interesting thing about filming is going out to the athletes environment, mm -hmm. like be, being in, I guess their home. So we see them in action and they, they get a lot of like, you know, almost want to like show off to us in some way. Like this is our environment like show us around. It's like, pretty... it's a sign of respect too, to, to be there and actually like, Oh, well, I'm going to watch you train particularly at four thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, after the training session, we set up the interviews. Um, and yeah, the interviews were really like really fun. Um, especially when they start, you know, telling their story and you can just like, it's more about listening to their story. Um, and that's the best part. Like you hear, you hear so many different stories, but everyone's going for the same goal. And it's just amazing to hear that. Like everyone's, gone through so many different things, but they all come together to ultimately achieve sport, um, success in sport. Um, so once we've done all the interviews and all the video stuff throughout the next couple of weeks, we'll start editing it, um, which can take anywhere between two weeks to a month, purely on the back and forth, um, conversations with the athletes themselves, because obviously they're sharing their story. So they want it to be, perfect essentially. So that, that can take a long time, but you know, it's important that we get that right because at the end of the day, it's their brand mm. and it's their story, not ours. So yes, yeah, so you, yeah. Once, once we get through that stage, we'll then actually write up a bit of a media story to then attach with the video. Um, so that can also take quite a while as well, but usually it's just, you know, we've already heard the story, so I was just producing it. And then the fun part at the end is sort of creating, well, and that's something that is more like more of my, something I enjoy the most is creating that like um, 
the designs for our Instagram and Facebook tiles and stuff. So that's usually what we do right at the end. But then once it all comes out, um, yeah, it looks really nice and it's pretty, yeah, you're pretty proud to be a part of a big project like that once it comes together and then going back to the engagement and what we look for in social media, that's when you start to see all the results and the positivity that comes out of a story that you built from scratch. So, yeah. <laughs> I think that that's a really nicely detailed, uh, I guess, ex- explanation of that whole process. And it's super interesting to hear, but one thing that really stuck out to me there, and I guess it goes back to the, um, how you've learned to engage as more of, I guess, a journalist almost as well, where you said it's not our story, it's theirs. Was there any particular training that you went through or books that you've read or people that you followed that you're like, you're a really good interviewer because you listen to the person rather than come with your kind of own preconceived idea of what this story is going to be? Or is that just something that is intuitive to you and that that's how you are? So it's funny you say that because um, my boss who's on maternity leave, shout out Ash, um, she she got me to interview her one time just for a bit of training. And that was her one piece of advice. Like it was always, you know, this, like, listen, um, like try and keep it conversational in this, in the aspect of that you're list, listening to them. Um, and that's what like people don't necessarily want to hear your voice. They want to hear the athlete's voice. So all that as an interviewer you're trying to do is, just guide the conversation. I think we can probably take some tips of that as well. I'm just writing that down. <laughs> Good advice um, for us. Yeah, exactly right. Uh, well, mate, let's bounce back to kind of the start of your career journey, if you will. And by that, I mean roughly kind of year 10, year 11. Do you want to walk us through, I guess, what subjects you were doing at school and particularly talk to hopefully students that are listening that are at that stage in their life now um, that might be looking to get into media or communications or journalism or any of those fields. Why don't you walk us through what your story was like during that time and then kind of some of the, some of the decisions that you made and, um, and how it turned out for you there. Yeah, cool. So in, uh, I remember year nine going into year 10, we had to pick electives and I had a really, really tough time picking electives because I always found that science was a compulsory unit, but media wasn't. And I could never, like there was no media or art subjects that were compulsory. So I had to, all my electives, I had to pick from a range of media and art subjects, which I never really understood because I just wanted to do all the media and art subjects and wish I could only had to pick from the science subjects. (laughs) So after, you know, a year of saying, well, I don't want to do science. Like, please let me do as much media subjects as I can. I finally got that over the line and I was lucky enough at the end of year 10 to drop a couple of compulsory science subjects, which was nice. <laughs> um, and then as I went through the years, um, just, I just want to stop on that. So we don't forget about it. Like <laughs> we don't have to say the school, but you went to a, you know, a, a a really well-known school in, in Melbourne. And so we did as well. I would not have expected that, um, that such a regimented approach to saying, no, you can't, you can't do all these subjects would have any leniency. But I think that's a good example of if you are really passionate about something and you really push for it, then, you know, you can change the rules um, if you want to. And I, I hadn't heard that before. So that, that that's cool that, that that worked out for you. Yeah, it was cool. But then 
I like I was constantly, I, w- I felt like I was constantly having those conversations of, I want to do this, but going to this, going to school, they were sort of like, no, we recommend you do this. Um, and I guess in going into year 12, that was one of my biggest sort of challenges was I really wanted to do a bachelor of media communications. And I always knew that, but I really wanted to do two design subjects. Like I wanted to do media studies and I wanted to do visual communication. And I always had the constant battle of, well, don't do that because it's going to lower your ATAR and you're not going to get into, you know, the, the course you're going to get. Like we really, like I constantly heard, we encourage that you do this, but the whole time I was like, no, no, like I want to do this. I want to work in media. I don't care what you say. Like, just let me do it. And just on that, Chris, what, what was the hurdles if there were any to get into the bachelor of media and communications at Latrobe? So in my mind, I didn't really see where the barrier was. It was sort of more just the, the, the biggest battle I had was how sort of people perceived at, like at my school, how they perceived going into media. Um, and it's crazy to think because, you know, I finished school five years ago, but five years ago, media wasn't as big as it was today. Um, which is weird to think, you know, that it was only in 2015 that people sort of saw media as an industry that wasn't that big. And I just used to think to myself, like listing all these like AFL journalists who thought I was like, well, hang on a minute. Like you guys watch all these people on your TV every day, every night, like, the industry's huge. <laughs> was, was that a reason why you were so passionate about it more than just, I guess, the skills that you were going to get good at if you went into the field, but you could see that, it, hey, no, it is big and it's going to get bigger. Is that something that drove you? Yeah, um, for sure. Like I could just see how big, like at the time in year 11, year 12, like Instagram had only just come out. So to think of that now, like I just could see that, it was getting bigger and it was, it was going to go nuts. And I always loved design and, and make like making stuff, but I sort of knew that the industry was going to get bigger. So you had to start learning the appropriate skills to go with it. Um, so, so yeah, that was, to me, that was media studies. Um, it was all right to do design, but media studies was a pretty new subject and something that I thought would be pretty valuable to, to grow with the industry. And you did that as a year 12 subject. Yes. So I ended up doing that, um, and ended up doing a footy magazine. Um, and there was a lot of uh, people perceived doing sport as a bit of a bludge in terms of like, you know, you go in there, you do a footy magazine, you write a few match reports, but to me, it was so much more to me. It was writing a magazine, but writing stories and telling a story, which is saying that, ended up working cause I was lucky enough to, to duck the subject at the end of the year. Um, and also use my portfolios as part of an application to the early entry, um, course into Latrobe called the Aspire program. So about midway through year 12, I found out that I'd already got entry into my course, which took so much pressure off the rest of my studies. And ultimately I think ended up helping me, get a better ATAR than what I would have done if I'd done any other subjects purely on the fact that I could relax a little bit. I took a lot of stress off myself. So I found that pretty ironic that doing the two subjects that were scaled down probably ended up helping me achieve a better ATAR than what I thought I initially would have. 
and that's something that comes up quite a lot or has come up in conversations that we've had quite a lot. It's the balance of, uh, you know, how important is it to really drive for the highest ATAR that you can and how do you go about doing that? And obviously people have different opinions, but it does seem that if you're switched on and really confident in your ability to perform well, then it seems to make more sense to choose subjects that you really like and are easier for you to do well at. So you're essentially just playing the game to increase your likelihood of getting higher individual subject scores, which, you know, as long as they don't get scaled down too badly, then inevitably that would mean that you can get a bigger aggregate ATAR than say slogging it out in science and methods and stuff because they get scaled up, but you have to work way harder and you might not get as good as, as good of a score. Mm. Yeah, it was, it's always interesting that because for me, like I used to look at, you know, people that were in maths class or even science classes and I could never understand like they'd go home and they'd study for like four to five hours. And I just was like, wow, how do you guys do that? Like, that's crazy. But then at the same time I was finishing school and I was going home and I was, I was staying up till like 2am doing my folio. So it was always just what I struggled with was the people that kept seeing like design and media as like the bludging subjects. But if, you know, any of my friends that were doing science had to come home with me after school, it'd get to like midnight and I'd be like, why the hell are you still, you know? And it, it was because the stuff I was doing, I was, you know, using scissors to cut, cut out photos and stick them in with glue and stuff. But it was always perceived as something that was like bludging and easy but no one did it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's good that you're able to provide an insight into what um, different subjects are. And I think, you know, there is that perception, I think in in some schools and by some people of other subjects, like, um, I don't know, I think people can kind of fill in the blanks there, but it's important to realize that people like yourself, you choose to do those subjects because you're one, probably good at them or two, really passionate about them. And you really work hard at them just because they're not perceived to be as hard as specialist maths or, or whatever it is. So um, no, I think that's a really important perspective to have, especially for the kids that are listening that are at school now, um, you know, cut, cut your mates a bit of slack that are doing other subjects that you probably don't have any idea about. <laughs> um, they're probably working just as hard as you are. Um, right. Let's bounce forward a, a year or two. You get early entry into the Latrobe course. Why don't you, um, Describe your thought process in being really keen to get into that course because it sounds like you had that as kind of a carrot that was dangling at the end of year 12 for you from an early age. Like when did you hear about the course? Did you do any um, diligence on that before you uh, kind of, you know, mark that down on, on the whiteboard as a, as a goal for you? Yeah, so initially when I first was looking through all the courses, I knew I wanted to, to do some form, of, some form of media and journalism. And, you know, the first thing I did was search up media courses in, I swear I wrote sport media courses in Melbourne. And the first course that came up was Bachelor of Media Communications with a majoring in sport journalism. And as soon as I saw those words, I was like, yep, like, that's it. I'm going to do that. Um, And, you know, I had a, a read of some of the classes that were involved and it was like interviewing athletes. It was like writing about, athletes, like everything was writing about sport, talking about sport, interviewing about sport. And I was like, yeah, like, that's it. That's me done. And then I sort of looked at the early entry aspect of it. And I was like, sweet, like 
that's something I'm going to work towards. Um, I'm doing a couple of portfolio subjects, doing some sport of my own. I'm going to apply for that. And with a bit of luck, I'll, I'll be able to, to get in and take a bit of stress off exam time. So yes, as soon as I read the word sport and media, that, that was me sold. And Chris, how did you find making the transition from school into studying at La Trobe? Yeah, so that was something I really struggled with. Um, I was really shocked when I first arrived at uni because as I sort of mentioned before, like a lot, like the word sport and media, I thought it was just going to be an absolute breeze. I thought I'd love every element of it because that's what I wanted to do. I was there. But then when I got to uni, it was just a massive shock. Um, you know, that no, you were accountable for everything you did, <laughs> which sounds weird, but yeah, if, like I, people didn't care if you, you, you went to uni, people didn't care if you weren't there, people didn't care if you didn't hand your assignments in, but if you didn't, no one would tell you. <laughs> so <laughs> it sounds bizarre, but yeah, like someone that, you know, had never missed deadlines or always got to class on time to get to uni and miss start missing assignments, lectures. Like it was just a shock. I was ex- waiting for someone to email me saying, Hey mate, like don't forget to uh, submit your assignment tomorrow. And the, those emails just never came. So yeah. how, how did you adapt then to, cause you obviously worked it out cause things have panned out or odd for you. How did you um, get better at dealing with that? And I'd never failed a subject in anything. And all of a sudden in the first six months of uni, I'd failed one subject. So I guess in some weird way that failure was kind of good because it taught, it showed me a lesson. Well, hang on, like you've actually got to put some, some work in here. Uh, And another thing that really helped me was actually going out into the world and getting just a part-time job Um, because, you know, it started to, I guess, make you value, an income and you know what working was actually like and even though i was working in a restaurant it still sort of started to show well hang on like the world's actually pretty tough it's not (laughs) it's not just streamlined like it is at school and whilst at school i had some big battles with you know trying to get into my media subject the world was even harder out there than (laughs) than something than stuff like that so yeah i guess that failure was something that that really helped me um, because I never wanted to feel that, that feeling of failure again. Um, so I decided, you know, I'm going to start planning out what I have on. So I remember writing these big lists of due dates and, and, um, and my subjects and had, had it, had a really big goal for myself over the next six months. I would, I would show up and I would, I would try and try and do well. So <laughs> I think for anyone that's at uni listening um, at the moment or any kind of, you know, area of their life where they're past high school, but, but getting assessed on stuff, uh, a couple of people have spoken about uh, failing a first year subject as being kind of their favorite failure because it's taught them all the lessons that you just described. So I think it's really important to kind of hammer home that obviously you don't want to fail anything in the first year, but if you can, if you're worried about like, crap, what am I going to tell an employer in an interview now that this has happened? If you can, put in some processes to really learn from that and, uh, and can, and, uh, just show how you've learned from that. It can turn into a pretty good story that you can explain. Actually, no, this is something that I mucked up. This is what I learned from it. And now this is why I do things differently. 
Um, but yeah, I just kind of, I, I know that a lot of people when oh, so you failed a subject, they're like, oh my God, my life's over now. <laughs> what am I going to do? You're never going to get hired, but it's not all that bad. Um, yeah. Mate, you, you described in one in our previous chat uh, a an experience um, from the journalism perspective that you had while you're at uni, and it kind of changed your perspective on, I guess, where you wanted to go. Do you want to walk us through that and kind of what happened there and what you chose to do after? Yeah. So once I decided to, you know, put into uni and have give it a crack in the in the next semester, uh, I saw a really cool opportunity that our university was offering around going to um, a live press conference with um, Carlton Footy Club. So naturally I thought that would be awesome. Um, so made my way out to Carlton. And when I first walked through the door, I was just absolutely shocked. Um, it wasn't what I thought it would be. Um, so like, f- first of all, I saw Sam Petrescu seat in there and I was like, sweet, like we're going to interview him. This is going to be great. As the interview started and sort of going through, I was just sort of, I was just, I was shocked with some of the questions that were being asked. Um, and I could see that he was up, he was up by the the microphone really struggling with what to say. And I was just really shocked that some of the questions weren't really helping him out. They were sort of just putting him on the spot and you could see him struggling. And for me, it really changed my mindset, like I walked, I walked out of that interview and I was like, nah, like I'm not in the right place here. Like this isn't what I want to do. Um, like uh, I can't ask people questions like that. You know, like this is a kid that is going to be a great player. Like why, why aren't we celebrating him? Mm. Why are we trying to, trying to bring him down a little bit? Um, and then I read the newspaper the next day and it was the story that came out of it was Petresi Seaton lazy. And I just can't believe out of the whole hour that I was in there, that was the, the story that made the newspaper. Like, you know, he, he's told us so many amazing things about his, his upbringing and where, where, where he came from. And just like, to me, that was the stuff that was amazing. Mm-hmm. And when, when I went away and came out of that interview, my article was more about that. Like I picked that angle because um, from the interview we had to write our own stories. So I picked that angle and then everyone would sort of compare their stories to the one in the newspaper. Mm. And I, I like, I was like, no, like what, what am I doing? Like, I can't do this. So for the, the, like, I guess the remainder of the semester, I was like, I was second, I was just having doubts over if this was something I wanted to do. And maybe I was not in the right place. And how um, did that shape where you wanted to take yourself forward? Like so, what, did, what did you do after that? So after I sort of had those sort of doubts, I was like, hang on a minute. I could actually, like, there's no reason why the story I wrote about Patrice Seaton can't be shared. There's no reason that I can't start telling story, like positive stories, like, and then I was even thinking, uh, cause I remember reading these, I was like, no one reads the newspaper now really anyway. Like people are like, I'm going to start making like I'm going to start sharing positive stories about sports people and sharing stories. So I got home and I, I made a, um, my first, I guess, Facebook page, um, where, and my goal, I, my goal was to share stories that I saw of AFL players and just put a positive spin onto it. And what's, what's that page? 
Uh, it's called AFL Off Field. AFL Off Field. Check it out, guys. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't think it's still active. I'm not really sure. <laughs> well, we'll soon find out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I started uh, just sharing, like, just sharing the positive stories. Like, I remember it was around the time that the Bulldogs were in the in the grand final. So that was sort of the perfect the perfect story and the perfect way to start. Um, it ended up getting like a thousand followers um, at the time. Just oh, so was, people are probably keen for some good news stories <laughs> yeah. instead of people just hanging, hanging crap on each other uh, in the news. And it sounds like that is a, a, probably a key, I guess, example of your driver in terms of what you want to do. And like, you've obviously ended up in a role now that you are able to write those good news stories and you go into interviews with people with no preconceived kind of agenda that you're trying to push um, that you kind of described out of that Carlton press conference. Um, but I don't know, have you seen that maybe uh, in journalism or in media generally that there are the different, I guess, ways that people can approach the the art or the skill of doing that. And you've just chosen, chosen one way and, and the other, the other ways are fine as well. Um, but this kind of just resonates more with what you're about. Yeah. Obviously I, like I've always loved sharing stories. Um, and it was sort of making that realization that was, was really important. So whilst, you know, the Carlton, like that Carlton press conference was so big because it made me realize that I wanted to, to tell stories. I didn't want to just, at the end of the day, the journos were doing their job and they were reporting what they saw as news and what would sell a newspaper. But for me, I made that realization that, Hey, I want to actually tell stories. So doing a bit of research, I realized that all the AFL clubs, like they share stories of their players and all their news is positive. So I started being like, hang on a minute. Like, no, I can stay in this industry, but instead of going down that journal pathway, I started to look towards teams and how they share their stories and, and, and sort of started following that path. And that led me to start applying to some internships, um, in, in teams to get that experience. So, over the next year, I um, started applying for jobs and God, it was so frustrating. Like for six months, it was just, nah, sorry, you've got no experience. Nah, sorry. And I like, no, sorry, mate. Come back next year when you got a little bit more experience. And I was like, I thought internships were to get experience, but everywhere <laughs> I'd keep asking would be like, sorry, mate, you need some experience. Did you point them to your Facebook page? <laughs> well, Funnily enough, I did. So um, I finally, after doing it for six months and saying no, I finally got a hit at Williamstown VFL Club. They just brought, um, they just introduced their women's team and were looking for someone to run the social media. Um, and I remember when I got there, the guy, so I, I, um, I'm from Berlin, so Williamstown was quite far away. Um, so when I got there, the guy said to me, he's like, look, like, you know, we'd love to have you down and be really keen to have you involved. But just thought I'd let you know quietly that um, I've just left the Northern Knights and I know that they'll be looking for someone. So I was like, sweet, like Northern's just around the corner for me. Sent them an email, showed them my AFL off field page um, and got a call back literally within the two hours saying, look, like the season's about to start really keen we want to get you down, get some experience. Um, can you start like next week? I was like, sweet. Like what, what, what's going on? Like, 
<laughs> finally I've got something and it was in footy at a club 15 minutes from my house. So what, what were you going to be doing is writing stories for them for their season and publishing stuff on socials or what does that look like? So when I first went down to the club, um, it was like, it was pretty much just like a, a footy club would be. And, um, my role was, they just said like, you know, this is an internship, like what, what can you do to help us out? So basically it was whatever I wanted to make it. Um, so on match day was probably the match days were probably my favorite part. That was when I was starting to learn, like, cause like I really wanted to make the social graphics for like halftime scores, full-time scores, some quotes and like some images. So I really wanted to make it massive. Um, and yeah, like, so I was doing that, but then also live tweeting, um, results and stuff, you know, we're getting like one like on Twitter, but, <laughs> <Sorry, better than laughs> <zero. laughs> yeah. but, um, yeah, it was really, was it you? <laughs> yeah, it's just me <laughs> on my, my personal account. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I like, it was really what I wanted to make it. Um, and sort of just like, I, I learned so much from it because, uh, you know, there was one week where I couldn't make it and all of a sudden like, was pretty cool seeing like in the dms like oh what's the scores like we're still waiting for the updates um so yeah it's a really good experience and i loved every moment of it there oh, that's awesome and i think particularly in, in sport um we hear this a lot and for anyone interested in getting to the sports industry there's another, another really good podcast called the sports grad podcast that is also based in melbourne but they talk all about sports um stuff and getting internships but one thing that they talk about a lot is uh, the the opportunity that comes from say local footy clubs and you just rocking up to them and saying, Hey, I want to do X, Y, Z. Can I come and do this for free for you? And it kind of resonates with what you said. And like they said, Oh no, this is an internship. Like what do you want to do um, for us? So it sounds like you get quite a bit of freedom um, and you can basically make it whatever you want, which, which is awesome. Mm. And I think the best part about that point was um, like, once I started work at the nights, I was like, I was still sort of in the process of applying for other internships. And once I got the yes from the nights, about a week later, I got a call from the Victorian Institute of Sport. And they're like, look, we want to get you down for interviews. Um, would you be keen? So I started doing that process as well. And, you know, when I went into the interview, I was like, oh, look, I'm actually doing some work for the Northern Knights. Um, it was like tick straight in and then got the call. And they were like, look, we'd love to have you down. And I was just amazed that, you know, I'd been applying for six months and I hadn't had one hit. How much experience had you had at the nights when you uh, applied to the VIS? Uh, I'd done a preseason, so yep. <laughs> very limited, but it was just... It's experience. So, <laughs> it was just so funny that, you know, having that 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 on your resume was like, they, like you know, that was like, tick, like we want him in. And yeah, then all of a sudden I had to make the choice, do I do two internships and defer uni or do I just do the one internship and keep going with uni? Uh, and I made the choice to defer uni. So I ended up extending my three year course to four um, and then decided I would work at the Victorian Institute of Sport. And yeah, it was, it was very hard. Um, it was one of the hardest things I've done having to, to juggle, like working with two internships, still doing a bit of uni on the side. Um, so yeah, it was very challenging, but probably one of the best decisions I've actually ever made. 
Oh, mate, it's panned out amazingly for you. And I think on the point of like slowing down uni or deferring uni, it's it's not a bad thing. And a lot of people sometimes think, oh, okay, like should I not take a gap year or should I be doing full-time study all the time? But I think contextualizing your learning and actually doing something you want to do is super important. So I think that's it's a, it's a good one for listeners just to be mindful of. One One last question before we wrap up. What advice would you have for students who particularly might be getting a little bit of a pushback from either their parents or teachers in terms of like the direction they should be taking when, when they they want to go one way and maybe their teachers and parents want them to go another way. What advice would you give to those students? Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, I guess th- how I would say it is I'd start off with the, with what was, what's the worst piece of advice I've been given um, and I still can't stand when I hear this was all throughout school, all throughout uni. I always hear people saying there's no jobs in media. Like you're not going to get a job. Like, and I just can't stand that piece of advice because if you're passionate about something, you, you, you'll find a way to do what you do. And at the end of the day, you know, four years ago, if you said to me that I like, I'm in a team of two, four years ago, if you said I'd be one of the team of two working at the Victorian Institute of Sport, I would have laughed at you. But yeah, I guess my piece of advice is that there is jobs and someone has to do that job. So why not make it be you? If you're passionate about something, you you will always find a way to do it. So, and I guess even further to that, hopefully we have some, some parents and maybe teachers or career counselors at, at schools listening as well. What is some, I guess, gentle advice for them, particularly, about industries that are evolving so quickly like media and um, they're being influenced by uh, social media and the the progression there. What is advice to those people who are telling their kids and their students to do or not to do something based on kind of their own lived experience rather than what is actually happening? Well, I guess I'd say to that five years ago, my job didn't even exist. So like that's only five years. So if my job didn't exist five years ago, what jobs are going to be there in another five years? Um, yeah, if you like, if you look at the media industry, I still think it's one of the biggest growing industries, and I think that we will keep trying to find ways to to do our job and to do our job better. So I just say, you know, just to yeah, to look to look at job like if you look at job titles right now um, in digital media, everyone's got different job titles, and that's because the media industry is so diverse and it's, it's constantly changing. So yeah, I'd say, you know, just keep, <laughs> keep at it. Yeah. And just, just to not, not to harp on this too much, but I think it's interesting to hear when people, I think, think of media or journalism, they might go, okay, the, the stereotypical journalist who writes a paper, a, an article for a paper, and that's what media is, but it's changing so much and every company has probably a media team that has two or three people in it at least that look after their socials or look after their website or anything like that. So um, I think the main thing out of that is to kind of expand the idea of what media is. And I think that's what you've kind of been speaking about all all day, which is great. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) 
All right, mate. Well, we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it was great to hear about your your journey, and it's certainly a different one in terms of the early access to uni in year twelve. And um, you know, you're super passionate about getting into sport, and you made the kind of the tough decisions to to change your subjects in year ten, and then extend your degree, and and you've made some sacrifices there, and it's really panned out for you quite nicely. You're working at the Victorian Institute of Sport now and doing great things. So, um, really appreciate the time, and uh, yeah, it's great to have you on. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a profession you would like to know more about, a question you would like us to ask, or a story you would like to tell, please reach out to us on the social channels at either the Young Professionals Podcast, TYPPAU, or our personal profiles. We'd love to hear from you.